Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now, driving at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, everyone. Menace here. And I just wanted to let you know that this week you're going to be listening to the audio of the live YouTube show that Paul and I have started for the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. So every Thursday at 5.30 p.m., we're going to be broadcasting a, a live cricket show on YouTube. So you can go to our YouTube page, Cricket Unfiltered. We're also going to be streaming the show on um, Twitter and Facebook uh, if you can't go to YouTube. But, uh, yeah, the idea is that the show will be separate to the podcast. But just this week, while we're um, resetting after our review of Amazon's The Test and getting ready for the new specials while uh, there's no cricket, uh, I thought we'd release the audio from that very first YouTube show. So have a listen to it. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, every Thursday, 5.30 p.m., head to our YouTube page, Cricket Unfiltered, to watch our live show. So this was recorded on June 4th. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. And welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. Slow start. Okay. <laughs> What's the salty discharge coming from my eyes? I'm your co-host, Menas. Joining me as ever is Paul Dennett. Half hour of well-selected highlights. Well, hello, viewers, and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered's first ever live broadcast on YouTube. Hello, Paul. Are you excited? Cricket Unfiltered's gone live. Yeah, man, it's great to be here. Uh, I need a diversion. I need to do something because I think I have watched every moment of international cricket that there is on YouTube because guess what they've started serving me? Um, domestic county cricket finals from the 1980s. Uh, one day finals featuring Peter Roebuck and uh, Viv Richards and others. And I'm sorry to say, I've actually been watching them and enjoying them. So I, I need to get out. 
<laughs> Definitely. Well, the idea viewers behind this show is every Thursday at 5.30, we want to go live and talk about all the big cricket issues and all the big cricket news. And uh, obviously there's not that much going on at the moment, but when that all changes, we want this to be a fun, action-packed live show every week. And we're hopefully going to be taking calls so it can become a bit of a, a talkback show and you can have your two cents worth. And I'm going to tell Paul this, but I'm a live guy. I mean, I love going live. So uh, you're about to see a whole new side of me. It's going to be crazy cricket talk. Uh, And today's show, we're going to sort of wrap up all the cricket headlines. And uh, we've got some listener questions. And then we're going to sort of think about what Australia's next test side would look like. But, Paul, let's get straight into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. There was a report today by Peter Lawler and Ben Horn from News Corp that there seems to be some dispute between uh, the figures laid out by Cricket Australia for the economic forecasts and what the players think those figures should look like. Now, CA are claiming if no changes are made, then uh, there could be a $142 million deficit by the end of the next financial year. Uh, and the dispute seems to be centred around the fact that Cricket Australia want to make uh, 25% cuts across the board. And in my opinion, Paul, 25% cuts across the board in this economic climate does not seem too drastic. Yeah, that's what I think as well. And I, I just find it, I find this whole story baffling as to how they're, how there's so much anger around it. That's what the report says, that there's, there's a bit of fury on the, on the side of the, of the players. I mean, Ultimately, isn't there just numbers that Cricket Australia will say this is what we expect to lose and the players might differ, differ with it a little bit, but surely they can't be that far away you know, from from the two sides having uh, being singing from the same same sheet. So, Plus, it, it hasn't crystallised yet. It, it will only happen in 2022. So whatever the projections are, reality will take over. So, yeah, I can't get too exercised about this and I just hope it doesn't indicate that there's there's bad blood still between the two sides. Now, from the article in the News Corp papers, it says sources who contacted News Corp Australia were furious at the doomsday scenario, arguing that with the Indian tour expected to go ahead, they cannot understand how the game will take such a significant blow. I can't understand who said that because, Paul, this is the biggest doomsday scenario we've ever had in cricket recently. I mean, when has this ever happened? If this is not doomsday, what is? Yeah, and again, unless they are accusing Cricket Australia of trying to manipulate the money or something, which I'm sure they're not, you know, that's the part of being in a revenue sharing agreement. You you go up with the good times, you go down with the bad times. And so they get 27.5% of the revenue. If it drops, well, um, it's not going to drop by that much. And yeah, there'll be plenty of million, millions of Australians who'd be um, eager to be in a, a position as bad as they are. And the reality is that despite the fact that the Indian tour looks like it will go ahead, there will be significant hits to the revenue in other areas. So, you know, there might be no crowds. There might, there will definitely be less money from sponsors. That is 100% guaranteed. You know, businesses will not have the cash that they had last season to spend on sponsorship. So, there is going to be a big, big hit to the finances. Uh, So, I think the players need to just. Uh, maybe fall in line is the best way to, um, from my opinion. But then um, my understanding is the ACA are going to respond to these forecasts tomorrow, Thursday. So we should sort of get a better understanding of where the players are coming from at this time. Yeah, wake me up when it's all over. Um, Look, I hope they they sort it out. But um, 
it just doesn't really exercise my, my interest all that much. I'm sure they'll 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 get it fixed up. And you know, um, I, I think that so far cricket has been pretty lucky in this country. Yep, they have. Now they um announced last they announced uh, next summer's proposed schedule. I'm sure that interests you more, Paul. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I've got it here in front of me. We're uh, starting off. This is the men's schedule. They're starting off with um, a series against Zimbabwe of three one days in the top end in August. Then potentially two three-match series, first against the West Indies and then against India uh, of T20s in October. But I think they will only go ahead if the World Cup um, goes ahead. They're kind of like uh, warm-up games for the World Cup. Then we have the one-off test match against Afghanistan. So Australia will finally play Afghanistan in a test match. Uh, That's going to be a day-night game in Perth. Then we have the four-test series against India. I don't think that'll be the WACA, I've been told. I think they're going to play that at Perth Stadium. Yes, I had thought they would be playing it at the WACA, which is the idea when you're playing against the nations that will draw small, smaller crowds. But they said contractually they're obliged to play it at the, at the new stadium. So might be the greatest spectacle if they're going to get only a few thousand crowd, a few thousand people in attendance, but it is what it is. So then we have the four tests against India, um, which Perth misses out on. So they'll, they'll be in Brisbane, Adelaide, Melbourne and Sydney. The Adelaide one will be a day-nighter. So Australia uh, taking on India in a day-night test for the first time. Then three one-dayers against India at the... I'm trying to find out where to hold the notes so that they don't appear. Three one-dayers against India. Uh, then uh, three one-dayers against New Zealand. And following that, uh, a one-off T20 against New Zealand to conclude the summer at the SCG on the 2nd of February. So uh, what are your thoughts on that schedule? Well, my my thoughts are that it's a bit hollow um, when you sort of take into the context of you know, the uncertainty around travel next summer. So it's hard to get too upset either way about it. There are things that I don't like about it. So uh, we spoke about this on our podcast this week that I don't understand why Australia aren't trying to get a marquee series up in the top end as soon as they possibly can to take advantage of this um, lull in sport. Rugby league in this country is often maligned as being not the most cerebral sport but they are leading the way and they copped a lot of flack and I was probably one criticizing them but they're up and running it's a collision sport there are games on right now they are being televised not all around the world necessarily but into markets that they haven't been televised before or that no one's been watching before as you say if we had the Australian men's and women's and the New Zealand men's and women's team up in Darwin the New Zealanders could have been quarantined just a three-match T20 series for the men and three-match T20 series for the women. Get on as many networks as possible. It would have been great for the game. Instead, we wait till August, a series against Zimbabwe, which the interest level will be almost zero for. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And coming back to cricket with a series against Zimbabwe is a bit of an anti-climax. I mean, I mean it's, it's not going to really um, get people excited about that series. I, I do um, think that player power might have won out when it came to deciding between playing India in Perth or Brisbane, uh, the players, um, you know, love playing at the Gabba. They know they play well there. And I think they're pretty keen to, to beat India this summer. So I, I think that's maybe what the decision came down to between Brisbane and, and Perth, because it's hard to see any other reason why you wouldn't play at uh, the new stadium in, in Perth. Yeah, and Perth are justifiably pretty annoyed about it. Um, we have we've both agreed that the, the easy solution is they should have played a test in, in both of them and had five tests. Um, but And if Australia were really serious about winning the series, they would have definitely played one in Perth as well because 
the last time that we played them there, we beat India and the pitch was especially bouncy. But yeah, disappointing for Perth to miss out with the, the brand spanking new stadium being underutilised. I think it is a good schedule, though, for the Australian team to start against India at the Gabba. I think it gives us a really good chance to exact some for revenge for losing at home to India two summers ago. So I think that the schedule looks good for the Australian team. Uh, with India, I know uh, there has been talk about adding more one-day internationals to the three-match series. The reports are that they, they, Australia and India might look at adding a T20 series at the end of that one-day series, so three T20s. Um, bearing in mind that the, the T20 series against India on the schedule might not go ahead if no World Cup is played. So uh, would you be upset if it was three T20s rather than, say, two one-dayers? No. I mean, I would love it to be a fifth test match, um, but given that that's not on the table, then I think it's a cash grab, isn't it? Do whatever you can to get the most money. But have we been played here? I mean, Australia was talking about that if we agree to sort of postpone the World Cup and make our players available for an IPL that occurs during the World Cup, India might reward us with a few extra games. Well, ultimately, we're going to get the same number of games as there would have been if there'd been no pandemic. That just seems like um, we've done a deal to get nothing out of it. I think India would say that uh, that we're going to get extra games anyway because we play this series against India and then if there is a T20 World Cup, whenever that is, we'll still play the warm-up series against India. So we, we kind oh, of yeah. will, will get the games eventually. But I think there Fair is enough. a lot of backroom negotiations going on. I think all the boards are being very cagey um, because when that comes out of this, it's going to be a bit of a, a free-for-all to try and fit in all the cricket um, over the next couple of years that was, you know, delayed. So, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a really sort of tight negotiation involving the IPL, the World Cup, next summer, these T20s. I mean, I think there's a lot of moving parts. But until the T20 World Cup is officially cancelled or delayed, sorry, I, I think that's they're just waiting for that. Now, I know that your um, domestic cricket is very close to your heart. Uh, we've switched, from, switched tack from international to domestic. Um, what are your thoughts about this next season domestically? Yeah, I, I think a lot of my interest is centred around what they do with this domestic schedule next summer, uh, bearing in mind they're trying to cut costs, bearing in mind there's rumours about cutting the shield and cutting the women's big bash league in terms of number of games. So I, I'm really curious which way this is going to land. Now, I'm hearing reports that the women's big bash league will be played maybe just in Sydney and Melbourne to save money. Um, but if we're allowed crowds um, to cricket by next summer, Paul, I, I'm not sure that's a great idea because you are, you know, alienating a lot of the, the other states. I think it will be an exceptional season, and I understand that cuts might have to be made. But I think Cricket Australia need to be very aware of not uh, disproportionately cutting the women's game because they have correctly been uh, given a reputation in the last few years as a leading body in world sport for the things that they've done for women's cricket. That women's cricket is in a better place than uh, in terms of financial uh, remuneration and everything than most women's sports in the whole world. It would be a great pity if Cricket Australia slashed the women's game more than the men's game for a cost-cutting measure. Now, it's not quite comparing apples with apples because the women's big bash is on a few months earlier than the men's big bash. So maybe if, if there are sort of um, still lockdowns in place that mean that, that a two-city format makes sense, 
that's fine. But if they're doing it purely to cut costs, I'm fine with that as long as they also cut costs in the Big Bash in the same way and anchor it in Sydney and Melbourne only. So I think that's that's what they have to do. They've got to make sure that they don't um, differentiate between the two. Yeah, one other issue that wouldn't have happened and won't happen again probably is the women's Big Bash might actually be clashing with the football codes. If AFL's going to finish in November um, and maybe the NRL around then as well, what, how will that work with, with the grounds, the coverage? Um, so, yeah, I think there could be significant changes to the women's Big Bash if it clashes with the AFL, for example. Yeah, I'd love it if um, if they had a, a contractual thing that they could have the a women's Big Bash game on that kicks the AFL out of the um, MCG for the grand final. I'm sure you'd love that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, just have like the AFL grand final in the corner so you can keep an eye on it. <laughs> have it at Junction Oval. <laughs> yeah. And the other things about the uh, the domestic schedule are, will they reduce the Sheffield Shield to eight rounds, as was reported, um, and with no final? I just I would be gutted about that. And will they will it play out in the same way? Six sort of rounds before the Big Bash and four afterwards. Um, yeah, I, I hope they don't cut the Sheffield Shield. Me too. But if they do, as long as it's a one-off, then I can live with that. I would hate it if they used this as a cover to make cuts that then stay for, forevermore. Now, in terms of the the Big Bash, um, Daniel Cherney um, in the Sydney Morning Herald had an article where he listed several of the proposed innovations that are being discussed. I'll go through a couple of those that um, we've got. They're talking about having a, a Big Bash player draft in future. Right, can, I, can I jump in after each one and tell you what I think? You so may. I think- the player draft is a good idea. I think that is an event in itself. It builds uh, excitement around the game. There's lots of stories, you know, leading into a draft. So they are finicky, but I think this idea has a lot of legs. It works in sports leagues all around the world. It just keeps the conversation going when, you know, there's no sport being played. Like when the, the Big Bash is not on, it would keep the interest up. I agree. And I find drafts terribly boring. I've got no interest in them. But I like the fact that cricket could start to hit back. That It annoys me, and I don't dislike AFL, but it annoys me that often the first um, moment of the summer, instead of everyone talking about cricket, they're talking about the AFL draft. They seem to often, I think once they, they, had, it clashing with, they had it clashing with day one of the first day of the Ashes. Uh, so if cricket can fight back with, um, so everyone can have their own meaningless discussions about the draft, that's great. I, I won't be participating in them, but um, I applaud them for doing it. Um, free hits on wides. What do you think of that one? Very good after wide. Yeah, very good idea. I think we're seeing bowlers now perfect bowling that kind of wide Yorker to the batters, and um, that really does restrict the scoring. And I think adding the free hit element to that, so there's a bit of danger involved for the bowler. If he gets it wrong, then the next ball is going to be a free hit. I think that's a good innovation. I, I agree. And I also would like to say that everyone who's complaining and saying, oh, bowlers get nothing in this sort of form of cricket. Yeah, that's the way it is. The crowd are there to hear six, there to see sixes. They're not there to see economical bowling. So, yeah, bring on free hits afterwards. I'm happy with that. Um, what about a bonus point for the team that is leading after 10 overs? Yeah, I don't like this. I think this is a silly idea. This is when you get into the elements where you try and change the game too much and you, you add little gimmicks in that really don't add anything to the game. Like, no, like the overall result is always going to be the most important. And I just don't see that 
you know, will the, will the crowd or, I mean, if this is to, you know, entertain casual fans, will you be home going, oh, my team's leading after 10 overs? Not at all. It's a win and a loss. It's a stupid idea. Get rid of it. Plus, you'll get so many interviews afterwards or at the, at the innings break. Um, uh, you guys are looking to, to try to get that uh, 10 over lead and get that bonus point and the answer, oh, no, look, we're just, we're, look, we're keen for the win and if we happen to be ahead at 10 overs, that's great. So, yeah, I tend to agree. And I'll, I'll probably feel the same mind, way about I don't mind a bonus point if they, I don't know, if, like if you can chase down the runs in 15 overs, you, you get a bonus point or something like that. They're, they're a bit more understandable, you know, easy to sell. Yeah, um, but your own arguments that you just, um, eloquently laid out almost can be used against you there. They're also a bit uh, gimmicky and a bit... Um, oh, yeah, I agree, I agree but if you're going to do something, <clears throat> I think that's a better one to to go for. What about player substitutes? Um, it didn't really... Like, if it's just a one-player substitution, they, they tried that back in the um, back in the Mercantile Mutual Cup days when Glenn McGrath used to proudly turn up to the game knowing that he was never going to be called upon to bat and say so he had a bag the size of a <laughs> pair of shoes and he'd just carry his shoes and proudly not bring any kit to the game they didn't really work out but that, i don't know I, I i'm ambivalent towards it what do you think i hate it i hate <laughs> it because I, I don't like you know cricket's a game of 11 v 11 so i don't want it to be 12 on 12 and i think it's confusing you know you're you're a spectator you've been you know watching a game and then all of a sudden someone comes out to bat who wasn't fielding or someone comes on to bowl who wasn't on the batting lineup i just think it's again doesn't add to the game um so i i don't like it at all all right here is what i would do um i'd make a few changes number one bring in some extra fielding restrictions. At the moment, after the first six overs, you're then allowed five out for the rest of the of the innings, 14 overs. It's time to change that and um, go the way that one-day cricket has. I would make it um, six overs of only three out um, between six and 12, and then the last eight overs have only four out. So really uh, bring it in, encourage batsmen to hit fours and sixes, less meaningless singles. There'll be more wickets as well. And if, I, if it ultimately is a little bit too much for the, the bowlers, uh, maybe you could dial it back a bit. But I think that would be a good change. What do you reckon? Mm, uh, my concern about that is that when we when the 50-over game had quite severe field restrictions, similar to what you're outlining, it became this just, just bat slog fest. I mean, the bowlers just it would, had no protection. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that idea. It's interesting because last time I raised it two weeks ago, you were a fan of it. Well, I've changed my mind. Okay, fair enough. Um, now, um, what about uh, this one? They've got to do something about the pitches. That I, I think that we've seen too I've many instances. I'm sympathetic to the bowlers since that time. <laughs> since we agreed on free hits for wides 30 seconds ago. Yes. Um, that um, I think that they, they need to bring in something punitive to stop these dead pitches. And if you have a game where there's no life in the pitch and no matter how close it is, and if it's a close finish, that's great. You still have 40 overs or 36 of the 40 overs being a bit dreary. They should say, if the pitch is dead and we'll have an independent expert assess it, that there is actual tangible uh, losses to the team that prepared that pitch in terms of competition points. What do you think of that? Yeah, I I like the independent pitch inspector idea you can just i can just imagine some guy turning up with a, a magnifying glass and a you know doing scientific tests and dropping a ball to check the bounce and all that uh i don't know what they can do but 
good pitches are essential to good T20 cricket. And and one of the problems you and I have seen over the last few big bashes is too many of the pitches in the the smaller grounds aren't up to standard. Mm. Now, whether that's actually Cricket Australia actually hiring a whole pitch preparation team that can be sort of distributed around the country or yep. in but but you're right. Something needs to be done. And lastly, I, I think that um, we need to have a situation where the Australian players can play in the, the Big Bash, even if there are internationals on. So we've got this uh, series that's scheduled late in January next year where Australia's going to be playing New Zealand in one-day games. As things stand, that will rob the Big Bash of all of the Australian marquee players. I don't understand how Pat Cummins across, say, the MCG and SCG test matches can play 10 days of cricket out in, in 13. He might bowl 100 overs, yet a few weeks later, after he's played a, a one-day game for Australia and bowled 10 overs, he's not allowed to fly um, into, in, across the country and bowl four overs in a T20 game the next day. Intersperse them both, um, that would be the, the best thing to do, in my opinion. Mm. And just to all the viewers watching, Paul, we're actually getting a lot of questions in. Um, so we'll get to them. There's a listener uh, question segment. So Paul and I'll get to them. I can see them um, in the comments section. I don't know. Can you see the comments, Paul? No, I can't. But I am 42. So it may be that I'm just not technically smart enough to be able to see them. But certainly I've seen nothing at the moment. <laughs> no, I will work that out for the next time. Uh, so with your thoughts on that, I disagree that although I see it's possible, I, I don't think it's very probable that you're going to – you can expect Pat Cummins to come off the field one night and then run out uh, for Australia, uh, come out one night for Australia and then run out in a, a big bash game the next day. But, but I just think this is a complete cock up that we why do we keep scheduling internationals during our big bash? This is mm. the Indians aren't stupid enough to do it. Just lock that time out for a month or just give the big bash a month of your best players and it will solve so many problems. So, uh, yeah, I just think that's the, the biggest solve. Just January is for the international players in the Big Bash. And we saw a yeah. little taste last summer of, you know, when um, Hazelwood and Smith were playing the Renegades, you know, Finch was there. We saw some great cricket. So that that's what we should be aiming for. I agree. What other suggestions would you make? I've got two suggest. Well, I've got two suggestions. One is I think the crowd should be able to keep the ball when they catch a six now. Um, no, which if next year they allow crowds but there's social distance, then that'll be even easier. You won't have crowding people crowding around you. But, yeah, I like that idea when the crowds do go back to normal. I think that's a great promotional tool. And I think if you're a young kid and you were to go to a cricket, you, you, you someone were to take you to a big bash game and you were to go home with a ball um, that you caught or someone gave you from a six, you would never forget that. And that's how you build lifelong fans. That's what you know. But it works for baseball. And the other one is I, just on sorry. that. A lot of uh, when people hear that for the first time, and I was this when I heard you say that the first time, I thought, oh, that's a nice idea, but it's impractical. Yet when you think about it for a few seconds, you realize it's only a, tw- a 20 over game. There's no concept of the ball aging so much that the spinners can bowl anyway. The logical progression, if we do have that, is that they can then be like baseball and just say, basically, we use a new ball the entire 20 overs and you can just cycle through them. And I think that would also benefit the game because we wouldn't get the ball getting a little bit softer in those later overs. So bring it on um, and cycle it through. And I think it's actually a really good idea and one that a lot of people, when they first hear it, don't like. But if you think about it, maybe you'll come on board. 
Yeah, and listening to the way Kookaburra makes cricket balls, it's not that hard for cricketer to say a Kookaburra to came up come up with a ball that has say one uh, layer less of lacquer. So you might have a ball that's you know sort of four to six overs old, effectively, and you use that the whole game, and it's very consistent. So, uh, yeah, that's my idea for the promotion. And then on the playing side, I think we should have uh, four internationals allowed per Big Bash squad, and three allowed in any eleven. I'd be happy for for all four of them to be allowed in the eleven. To be quite honest, um, I think that you've got to make it as international as possible. That's the only way you're going to compete with the other leagues. I'd be happy to have um, Cricket Australia sign off on salary cap violations if they if there's a marquee player that you need to pay enough to get to that Cricket Australia could tip in a bit and get them in there as well. So the more internationals up to that point um, to match the IPL, they allow four in the eleven. I'd be happy with that. Hmm. Uh, so they're my ideas for the big bash, Paul. Cool. Now, um, one other little point we, we, we saw that the, the, there's talk that Channel 7 were actually uh, trying to offload the big bash, uh, the coverage of it, um, a, a few weeks back, and no one was interested. And whether that's true or not, I just find it a little bit sad that we had a product that a couple of years ago, Channel 10 was almost the saviour of their network. It was It was the thing that Channel 10 loved the most. To have seen it suddenly now, um, something that's a little bit of an ugly duckling, it's a real pity. So I, I hope that um, whatever they do with the Big Bash, that we can soon get back to, to where, it, where it was. Yeah, I, I, I just think any way you try and spin it, the, the current TV deal has not been good for the Big Bash. It may yeah. have been good for cricket. It may have filled the coffers. But splitting the coverage has had a significant effect on people's engagement with the tournament. I think we had the thing before on Channel 10 where it became, you know, must-see viewing for sports fans. Everyone was watching it. So you didn't have to worry if your mate was watching the Fox coverage or your mate was watching the other coverage. It was all on one. You were all watching the same story. If one of the commentators said something stupid, you're all piling in on Mark War or whoever it was. And, and so I think we've kind of lost that with splitting the coverage and, um, yeah, the fact that uh, Channel 7 are trying to offload it is damning. I agree. Well said. Now, the next bit of news, and it's, um, it's just a small bit of news, but Peter Siddle has um, moved south to play for Tasmania. Um, so he signed for them for two more years. So he's got two more years left in domestic cricket. Uh, but, Paul, I wasn't surprised at all that Victoria didn't offer him a contract. Uh, with the amount of young fast bowlers in Victoria, I never saw a spot for Peter Siddle next summer. Well, I'm pleased that Tasmania have offered him one. Um, I, I would have offered him one because I still think that the Sheffield Shield Victoria, should be about Victoria. I think so. Yeah, I mean, oh, if I great. was playing, if I was playing in the Sheffield Shield final tomorrow and I was a Victorian, um, I, I would say that Siddle makes my top three bowlers. Yeah, I'm not the sure about that. What about Will Sutherland, James Pattinson, Scott Boland? I mean, I'd have Siddle over Boland. Um, and I'd probably have Siddle over... Tremaine's um, an excellent bowler. Yeah, they, they, they've got some good bowlers. Well, it's good that he's gone to Tasmania and hasn't been lost to the game. Yes, definitely. The other one is uh, James Faulkner, the man of the match in the 2015 World Cup final, has dropped off of the Tasmanian state contract list, um, which is just an incredible fall. And, I mean, he's been, Faulkner's career has been blighted by injury. But, I mean, there was a period where he was Australia's best all-rounder. There was a period where I was clamouring him for to be in the, in the side, in the test side, um, on a regular basis. And you look at his record, he's taken 192 wickets in first-class cricket, cricket at 24.8. 
and has a batting average of 30.9. Those are sensationally good figures. Um, they're, they're really, really good figures for an all-rounder. Um, you would look at that and say that that's the sort of player that should have been playing dozens of test matches. He's only 30, so... You know, Tim Payne a few years ago looked like he was no chance of, of, of coming back. Um, hopefully, Faulkner can can make a comeback. I hope he does. Uh, the great thing about doing this live, Paul, is we've got fact checkers. Now, Mr. Rex Dog is 100% right. Chris Tremaine is moving to New South Wales with um, Adam uh, Moving back. Moving back moving to New back, South Wales. Yeah. So um, thank you, Mr. Rex Dog. Uh, so, yeah, but still, my, I still think with all the young talent in Vicks, it's the right thing. All right, let's get into the um, listener mail segment. We've got lots of listener questions. Um, I've got one here from Martin, Martin Lawrence Paul. He's said to hey, us, Martin. he's asked us if England, their cricket season, like within, if they play the internationals, will be a good guide for the COVID-19 practices that Australia needs to institute. Well, I suppose that we would hope to learn from from whatever lessons they they get in in terms of shining of the ball and um, all the things that you probably don't know will happen until you actually do it. So it could have been a bit bit of a dry run there. But in, another side of things, hopefully um, we're in a much better situation than them because we are a few months later. And also, as things stand, Australia um, thankfully is handling the the, the, the pandemic especially well, much better than, than sadly England is at the moment. So there, there certainly could be some lessons to be learned, though, from, from the on-field stuff. Mm. Now, we've had Akhil Sharma leave a question in the comments. <laughs> this is an interesting one. What if a player is tested positive for COVID-19 while playing in a test match? Say it's the second day of a test match. Will they continue playing or will they be substituted? I, I would think that you would want to um, use the concussion protocols for COVID-19. Well, I think they'd have to be substituted, and I mean that would probably be the the least of the the, the best outcome for cricket. I mean, there'd be some who'd say that the, the test match should be um, should be shut off. Uh, I would hope that that's not the case, given that cricketers are a little bit further separated than than they are in other sports. But um, yeah, hopefully by then um, it's not going to be an issue. But it's an interesting question. I hadn't thought of that one actually. Yeah, I think they'd have to do it like the. Um... The concussion, maybe um, Manus could be the first ever COVID substitute. Now I've just I can see the questions. Did you did you do that, Manus? Yes, I did. I just was see how good I am live on the run. So this well, 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 I think Australia is going to smash India next year, three nil. I think it's going to be. You're such a pessimist, Manus. Sushant, it's going to be four nil. Australia will beat (laughs) India four games to nil. Um, And that's not to criticise India. India are excellent, but um, I just think Australia are red hot at the moment. And on home ground, um, they'll right the wrongs from two years ago. All right. Now, let's just see if there's any more questions before. I've got a couple more here. I've got one here from okay. um, from Akhil uh, Revta. Now, who do you think will be captaining Australia for the 2023 World Cup? Will Aaron Finch continue? And if not, who are the other prospects Australia would be looking at? I think mm. that Finch will be captain for the World Cup as long as his form permits. In other words, his age is not going to be a barrier. He'll be 36 for that next World Cup, uh, and that's probably – that will see him out. Uh, Ricky Ponting and Steve Orber kind of moved on a little bit after that age, but I'd say that Finch at this stage would be my pick to be Australia's captain when Australia win the World Cup final in 2023. Um, <laughs> Confident. <laughs> um, but then – well. 
say that England don't play spin very well. Yeah, isn't it in yeah. India this World Cup? Yeah. Well, they all are now, I think. Um, but <laughs> um, forevermore, yeah. Um, but then I'd say that after the, the next game after the World Cup, they'll have probably um, uh, retired him from then because he'd be forty by the twenty twenty seven World Cup. I um think there's a chance he might not be around. I think Aaron Finch is one of those players that if he were to lose a little bit of skill, that would really affect his performance. Um, but, yeah, there's no reason to ditch him. He's done such a good job. But I would, I think Steve Smith will be the captain at, at the next World Cup. I think um, in the next set of captains will probably be split between the test and one days. And I think Smith will get the white ball stuff and, Someone else will get the red ball stuff. So that's that's how I see it playing out. It's very interesting because I think if it happens soon, I, I would agree with you. But roll things forward, say two years, then I think that Smith the the it might have passed him by, and that it might go straight to Carey as captain in the in the one dayers, and you know Labuschagne or, or or Cummins in the Test matches. But mm. if it was to happen in the next few months, I think maybe Smith would get it. Matthew Culkin's put a joke in the comments. I'm going to put this up, but. He's put this – Mitch Marsh is next captain. Are you kidding? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> He's been sure vice-captain. Marsh. Sure, Marsh, recalled as captain. Um, Co-captains. Now, just on while we're talking about splitting captaincies, I want to ask you about this, Paul, that I heard a, a great podcast um, that Ian Bishop hosts, and he was uh, interviewing Justin Langer. And Bishop asked whether he thinks that coaching could be split between, say, a white ball and a red ball in the Australian setup. And Langer's point was that he feels that with the amount of cricket being played, it wouldn't really work having different coaches for the formats because they'll always be basically arguing over players. You know, if if you're the one-day um, coach and your job's on the line and you get a message, oh, we're resting Smith and Warner because they just played the test series, you're thinking, well, I'm going to get sacked from my job if we lose this. And you know, the test coach gets all the good players. So he, he thinks you're better off having like one coach to do it all. And then maybe you split it off and your assistant coach could handle the T20 side for a little while. But I hadn't thought of that, but it makes sense. It's such a difficult one because if you are going to do it all, then you're going to get burnt out so quickly. You're going to be on the road, what, 320 days a year. And I think that you, we sort of saw that with Darren Lehman, that in, in in hindsight, maybe he should have retired after Australia, uh, should have step, stepped down after Australia won the 2015 World Cup. I think if you're going to do it all, then your life expectancy in the job can't be much longer than a one-day World Cup cycle. And a final question for our viewer segment. Michael has asked us, how long can Australia stay as the number one test series and what is our favourite test series of all time? Now, my favourite test series of all time is the 1995 tour to the West Indies, hands down, and uh, my second favourite is the World Cup 99. And then uh, how long can Australia stay as number one? Oh, I think a while, if we, especially if we beat India at home next summer, that'll secure the, the ranking and, yeah, I could see it's dominating world cricket for the next few years. It's going to be interesting longer term as um, uh, India kind of is a rising superpower of the world and it's their number one sport um, and they're getting better and better at it on the field all the time. In years to come, it may be very difficult for other teams to to compete with them. We may be kind of um, moving into a new era where – India is more often than not number one in the world. But, yeah, I think short term, this Australian side is pretty good and I can see them being 
up the top for the next couple of years. As far as my favourite test series, I'll give two, one just to annoy you, Manners. Um, my favourite one is 2005. Um, that actually mm. probably annoys you as well. Um, that was, even though Australia lost, it was magnificent. But probably my other favourite one is 1936. World 11 series at the end of that year. <laughs> yeah, I went to that, saw Gilchrist get a 90, I think, uh, or right. 100 maybe. Um, the, all, the, six days, all six days of that test ended on the fourth morning. <laughs> um, the other one, 1936-37, um, you know, you just can't go past that. Australia down 2-0, gone yeah. for all money, and Bradman scores 270, 212, 160, and Australia wins 3-2. Only time Australia's, any side's ever come back from a 2-0 deficit to win a, a five-test match series. That's pretty good. Michael should have put the caveat in our lifetime, in anybody's <laughs> lifetime, in anybody's <laughs> lifetime that could be watching this. All right, well, Paul, I think um, we've hit 30. We're, I think we should call it. Give it, let's wrap this up now. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts? Um, well, we were talking in, in the lead up that uh, what we'd have for the Australian test side if one was picked tomorrow. I think that 10 of the players picked themselves. The real debate is just uh, would Cameron Green dislodge, um, say, Travis Head at number six? And it, it takes us to a point of Cameron Green is a very exciting player with a, what have I got here? A bowling average of 21 and a half, a batting average of 43 and a Last season, he averaged 63.4. So the question for you, Menas, is have we finally found this player that we have been desperate for, our own Andrew Flintoff, Ben Stokes-type player? Is he the answer? I think he's the best all-rounder I've seen for a number of years for Australia, and that is because he has the ability to score hundreds. That's how you win games. That's what Stokes does for England. He might be averaging mid-30s, but when he, he bats well, it's a big score. It's a match, match-winning score. So I, I like him. The other question, though, is, Paul, you know, how long can Tim Payne go on for? And, and I would think that next summer would be the end of the road for Payne. Like, I, I could see if you're being really ruthless, you might cut him now and bring in Carey. But with India coming, who's a strong side, maybe the stability of Payne will be important. Yeah, I don't think they're contemplating cutting him at all anytime soon. And I, I think that he, he's, his longevity might be more than we think, that his batting has started to come come really good. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if he led the side for uh, two or three more years. And I, I know he's getting into that sort of mid-30s bracket, but you know, I, I think he's there for, for not just the short term. I guess the question is, though, Paul, is he a good enough skipper? On the field, that that's my question. When I watched back Amazon's the test, and you saw a few of the poor decisions, you go, you know, would another captain have done the same? I don't know, but uh, I mean, there is a lot of the good bloke factor at the moment keeping him in the team. No, I, I think that you you can overplay those decisions. That he made one mistake in going for the referral when um, it was clearly pitching outside leg, and that came back to cost us. And he sent England in. Uh, um, and that's that's two mistakes. Um, I, I think the rest of his... Sorry? Could have been 4-0 in the Ashes. Yeah, but others would argue that um, he did a lot of good as well. That, you know, we talked about how he um, got the side up after the the, the, the loss at Headingley and that um, uh, he used to be given credit for the way that the side played at Old Trafford. Oh, look, ultimately, I think that the... The significance of the captaincy is overrated. Um, it, it doesn't really matter as much as people say who's captain. I'm very content with him being the captain at the moment. I really like Alex Carey, but I think that the way that he's batting and the way that he's keeping means that I think he's got the job for a, a year or two at least um, to come unless he suffers a major drop in form. Mm. 
Yeah, I think he'll he'll definitely be around next summer and perhaps beyond. He did mention that he wanted to play in, you know, the World Test Championship final that was to be staged in the middle of next year. But, you know, with all these COVID-19 um, delays and, and changes, then who knows if that'll go ahead. So I guess um, that we'll, we'll see as the schedule is released. I guess, Paul, let's end this with some good news. Cricket is getting back on its feet in Australia. Cricket Australia is reporting that a a T20 carnival in Darwin is is starting the game off in Australia, uh, and they will even allow crowds in. Um, it's a round robin tournament, a T20, a top end T20 round robin tournament played across the long weekend. I think we should fly up to see some live <laughs> cricket. We allowed to leave New South Wales. Might not be able to get back. I don't think so. I think we'd have to have a. No, I think they shut us at the border. Uh, well, maybe a 14-day quarantine period in a hotel. <laughs> well, uh, viewers, thanks so much for watching the um, live broadcast of Cricket Unfiltered. Paul, I really enjoyed it. It's great to see some people sending in questions as we do it. So, yeah, let's just keep doing it every week. Yeah, fantastic. Always, always fun to jibber about cricket. All right. Well, thanks for watching Cricket Unfiltered live. And uh, the podcast is on all your podcast apps, Spotify, uh, Apple, uh, so just punch cricket in fil- cricket unfiltered, cricket infiltered, cricket unfiltered into your uh, search engine and you'll find us. Go and listen to this week's show. We we reviewed the final episode of Amazon's The Test, so it's uh, worth listening and the podcast will be back next week and we'll be back live every Thursday, 5.30. Stay tuned. Bye. <laughs>